0: Call this code with artists more than one. This is, yeah, yeah. this is comp,
1: yeah, yeah, this is comp, yeah, yeah, this is comp, yeah, yeah, this is,
2: comp! Welcome to This Is Comp, a series of Discord and Rhyme minisodes where we talk about various artist compilations, song by song. You can get early access to these episodes by donating to our Patreon at the $3 level at patreon.com slash discordpod. Here today with us are myself, Chris Willie Williams. Rich Bunnell.
0: And Amanda Rogers.
2: Please say hi to us on Twitter and tell us where you're listening from. Well, not Will. Well, no, not me. The the royal us. In, in reverse, meaning everybody but me. Anyway... <laughs> I'm We're sure that at works. Discord Pod. <laughs> it works. It's math. We're at Discord Pod and we love hearing from you guys. Many thanks to the Hector Collectors and Kenneth Crayley, who helped us out with our opening and closing themes for these episodes. Also, in the last couple episodes, we called the theme Original Music, which is our bad. Oops. The theme is a spoof of This Is Pop by XTC, who you hear a lot about on this podcast.
0: You know, I didn't know that until you made this correction in the intro, Rich. (laughs) You thought that we just wrote that? I I honestly thought the Hector Collectors came up with that. They are pretty awesome. They are catchy. I had no idea this was based on anything, so I went and listened to the actual song. It's pretty good.
1: Yeah, it's great. The Hector Collectors are great, too. And Mm -hmm. uh, for listeners, you can listen to their music at
2: HectorCollectors.Bandcamp.com. Mm -hmm. And you are highly encouraged to do so As for This Is Comp, we are currently working our way through Nuggets In this episode, we are going to cover disc 2 of the 4-disc box set, tracks 24 through 31 And the first song here is The Swingin' Medallions with Double Shot of My Baby's Love
1: pattern here. Yeah, it is good. Yeah, it's such a fratty song and it spends so much time on the symbol. So Double Shot, parentheses, Of My Baby's Love by The Swing of Medallions was released in 1966 and was a genuine hit. It hit number 17 on the Hot 100. The medallions are from Greenwood, South Carolina, and according to their own website, they performed a mix of, quote, beach music, frat rock, R&B, or shaggin' music, which specifically actually refers to the Carolina shag, uh, a surprisingly intricate style of partner dancing popular on southern beaches. Like, I think beach music, and I think of just people just shimmying with their arms. But no, it, uh, look at a video of, of this on YouTube. It's um, it's surprisingly, it, it's a genuine partner dance. Hmm. And obviously it's shaggin' music in the other sense, too, but I'm not sure if Americans were saying that before Austin Powers. <laughs> So uh, so the medallions were mostly popular at colleges and beachside cities, but this song is just generally a frat rock classic. I didn't know it before listening to Nuggets, but apparently it's a radio staple.
0: Yeah, I'd never heard it before Nuggets either, but I do enjoy how it sounds like they're actually playing it at a frat party. All the whistling <laughs> and hollering at the beginning, I just, I've just, i always enjoyed that, and it sounds a lot more genuine than on, say, the Beach Boys party. Yes, or
1: Arsteca tracks. Hmm? Uh, the Beach Boys Party came uh, packaged with stacko tracks. Um,
0: oh, yeah. I don't think I knew that.
1: Yeah, the, e- either this one or Liar Liar is probably my favorite nugget, actually. So I, I, I must really love deceptively complex music for drunk people uh,
0: <laughs> on the beach
1: in this case. <laughs> but it's great. Uh, and it's super dirty, too. Like, it's a, it's kind of like an early love me two times, except that it
0: actually bothers to have a metaphor of some sort. <laughs> Yeah, I was surprised yeah. it was such a big hit because this is really explicit for that time period. And it's I mean, it's a really fun song. I like it a lot. But yeah, once people figured out what they were singing about, I'm not surprised it got banned a few places.
2: They actually re-recorded it, um, for their first album, but for some reason it only got pressed onto a certain number of the uh the first LP. I forget what uh Rich, do you remember what it's what they actually said? No, I don't. It was it was like the worst headache I ever had. And instead of my baby loved me so wrong, or loved me so long, it was like my baby kissed me so long or something. <laughs>
1: and then she gave me some aspirin.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <it was laughs> so some of the LPs had the original and some of them had this slightly cleaned up re recording. Yeah, you just didn't know what you were gonna get.
2: Apparently wow. not. In the re-recording, you can tell they're all really half assing it too.
0: <laughs> I kinda want to hear that. Because
2: it's on it's on YouTube. Yeah? I found a, a clip of it. It's worth
0: checking yeah, out. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. That sounds really funny. It's very silly. I don't want to give too much credit
1: to Frat Rock, but uh, the song sounds surprisingly like, you know, sex positive and empowering to me. Like she's the double shot that's happening to the guy, for sure. I'm
0: sure that's exactly the message they were trying to present.
1: <laughs> That's about as far as I can read a Double Shot of My Baby's Love as a feminist anthem.
0: <laughs> well, hey, this is not anywhere near as creepy as some of the other songs on Nuggets. I'm calling this one a win.
2: Yeah. Although the Farfisa organ makes comparisons to Question Mark and the Mysterians 96 Tears pretty unavoidable. Yes, I actually meant to and say that
0: and I forgot, so thank you.
2: So this song may lose that battle, but taken on its own terms, it's a refreshingly frivolous goof.
1: Also, The Swingin' Medallion is kind of a dirty joke of a band name in itself, or am I just being too, like, modern
2: <laughs> in my...
0: I didn't notice that until you said that just now. So you might be reading into it.
2: Okay. Up next, we have The Merry-Go-Round with the song Live. Live. It's a Live, actually. Is it Live? Yeah. yeah.
0: They That's say it, like, 75 times.
2: I... <laughs> Maybe I was thinking of... The band liar, Tignotaro.
0: <laughs> it's like Tignotaro's show.
1: Yeah.
0: It's
1: a bouncy little ditty.
0: This song makes me so happy. You think you live, but i
2: So, The Merry-Go-Round was the California-based project of Emmett Rhodes, who was previously of the band The Palace Guards, and who had an influential solo career afterward. I generally don't feel compelled to dig deeper into the careers where applicable of most of the bands featured on Nuggets, but I highly recommend The Merry-Go-Round's compilation Listen, Listen, which... I think I was introduced to by our friend Scott Floman, author of the excellent book, The Story of Rock and Soul Music. It's all very McCartney-esque, upbeat, sort of life-affirming pop like this.
1: Emmett Rhodes' first couple albums, the only ones I've heard, they sort of feel to me like the first few McCartney albums that everyone expected. And they're pulled off with a lot of professionalism, uh, if not necessarily originality. But I but they're really but they're mm. really good.
0: I had never heard of Emmett Rhodes or either of his bands, which seems a little strange now listening to you guys, but I love this song. And it makes me want to hear the rest of his stuff if it sounds anything like this.
1: Oh, you're gonna love it.
0: Yeah?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. it's made for you. Yeah, you will.
0: Awesome. Yeah, and I yeah, was listening sh- to this batch of nuggets. You know, as I've said before, a lot of them kinda of blend into each other after a while, but This one really got my attention. It sounds so different from what's around it. And between that bouncy, kind of off-kilter melody and those lovely backing vocals, this is an absolute winner. I love this one.
2: Yeah, I think it's great, too. And, oh, I should point out that that was released in 1967, and it made it to number 63 on the Billboard Hot 100.
1: Yay. Yay.
0: All right.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I like this one. It's uh, a... Uh, I think that Emmett's, Emmett Rhodes' melodicism gets kind of buried underneath the full band. Like, uh, I mean, he has a really nice voice, and I uh, like his al- his actual albums because uh, just the instrumentation is a lot more spare. But th- this is still a lovely little song.
0: And it was covered by the Bengals on their first album.
1: Oh, wow. Was it?
0: Yeah. I listened to it uh, when I was reading up on this song the other day. I happened to notice that, and I went and listened to the song, and I I don't like it quite as well. It's a pretty straight cover, but it's a little too polished, I think. I like this one to sound just a little bit rougher around the edges, but it's a, it's a good cover. It's worth listening to.
1: How does it rank in relation to their Hazy Shade of Winter?
0: Oh, I really like their Hazy Shade of Winter. I'm not sure where you were going with that. <laughs> Do you <laughs> like it or no?
1: Oh, I love it.
0: Oh, okay. I didn't know if this was a negative comparison or not.
2: I am pro-Bangles in general.
0: Yeah, in yeah, terms of... I like
2: their Hazy Shade of Winter better than Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, I was going to
0: say, their Hazy Shade of Winter is spectacularly good. So in terms of quality of cover, their live is not anywhere near at that level, but it's it's fine.
1: What do you think <laughs> I would think of the song? It's a, it's a Simon and Garfunkel song, except it's by a woman and it's in the 80s. Of course I love it.
0: <laughs> I, I should have really put those pieces together, but your your delivery was very deadpan and I just I wasn't quite sure what point you were trying to make.
1: <laughs> I've been told that. I, I'll give that to you.
2: <laughs> okay, moving on. The next one we've got a hit here is Paul Revere's and the Raiders with stepping out. Into the light.
1: stepping out not by joe jackson but by paul revere and the raiders Uh, this was released in 1965 and hit number 46 on the hot 100 and these guys were from boise idaho Uh, and this is one of the more well-known bands in the entire nugget set but i'd honestly never really explored them to the extent that our musical mentor mark prindle did he was obsessed with them (laughs) but i I was unaware that the leader's name was literally paul revere dick like is it that it's an actual paul paul revere in this band (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, when
0: your name is Paul Revere, you got no choice but to capitalize on it.
1: Well, from a contemporary piece on them, I quote, though he had little education and no sense of history, there was at the back of his mind a faint recollection that a man named Revere had figured somewhere in the history of America.
0: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that is colossally insulting. I love it
1: yeah uh so revere was the keyboardist of the band but it was a lead singer and saxophonist mark Lindsay who was the main attraction of them of, of the band who were very very visual they had a revolutionary war inspired look uh and they apparently made more than 700 network tv appearances i'm not sure how they did that uh were they just the house band on some how yeah uh, maybe that was supposed to be 70 i don't know uh w- that would make, more that would make sense, a lot more sense because there were like, two networks.
0: <laughs> Were there even well, 700 episodes of television?
1: Maybe they just toured in on and appeared decade? on all the local stations. Yeah. Oh, could be. Yeah. Uh, anyway, one of these appearances was at the Penguin for Mayor rally on the Batman TV show, and I'm not sure if I agree with their politics there.
0: <laughs> I just <laughs> watched that video, and it was hilarious.
1: They should They should have shown up in Batman Returns as well. Yeah. Yeah, when the Penguin actually becomes mayor. <laughs> So this song was the debut of their signature sound, which was intended as a blend of the Beach Boys and the Stones, and they went on to have a lot of hits for a Nuggets band. Uh, one of them is Kicks, which is an anti-drug song that the band did not know was about drugs at all. What? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, they were pretty naive.
0: So they, so maybe that reviewer <laughs> was not wrong. They, they seem to have not been very bright if they didn't pick up on that.
1: Yeah, and they topped the charts in 1971 of all times with the song "Indian Reservation," which is pretty nuts. It's kind of like if uh, if ELO did an old like Cherokee song.
2: Though they had no idea that it was about Native Americans, they were told it was about cereal, and they just went went with it. Well, apparently, Mark Lindsay
1: is one eighth Cherokee, so he uh, put that on after the fact. <laughs> so, what do you think of stepping out? Paul Revere and okay. the Raiders are so interesting to talk about. I,
2: yeah, I don't. This is one I don't really think much of. It's it strikes me as more generic than pretty much any of the other songs by Paul Revere and the Readers I've heard.
0: Yeah, I agree. I find this one kinda boring and bordering on annoying.
2: I mean any any four disc set is gonna have a little bit of filler, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. They really could have used the Joe Jackson song.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, seriously. Definitely. But we will move on from there to the next song Captain Beefheart and his magic band, Diddy Wa Diddy. Captain Beefheart was a man whose real name was Don Van v- Vliet. Is that how you pronounce it? Vliet, I think. Vliet, who Um. we can extrapolate from this song that he would never go on to do anything unusual or creative in his entire body of work. Yeah. Otherwise this guy's career is a mystery. Yeah. It's, you, we never heard from him again.
1: Uh, more of that dry sense of humor that we attribute to. Discord yeah. And
2: rhyme. Yeah, no, obviously uh, Captain Beefheart was hugely, hugely influential. Um, and f- a lot of his work was far weirder than the sort of general blues structure of this song. Uh, we don't, need to dig too deep into his history here because we've we have an episode coming up in June in which our Dan Watkins will be walking us through Beefheart's enormously influential and impenetrably bizarre album Trout Mask Replica.
1: You heard it here first.
2: Yep. <laughs>
1: yeah, I can't wait to listen to that one 50 times in a row and just drive myself insane.
2: <laughs> in preparation for it. Yeah. But this is a relative
1: <laughs> but this is a relatively normal Beefheart.
2: It is, um, but even still, it's got some interesting touches, like just the the huge, huge fuzzy sound of that bass. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard for me to think of anyone else who, certainly at that time, who accomplished that much of a low end.
0: Yeah, every time I listen to this, I think that all I can think is what is happening to that bass. It's amazing. It's my favorite thing about the song. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, it's mostly interesting to me as an artifact from like the one fleeting moment when Captain Beefheart aspired to produce music similar to what other musicians were producing. Uh, Even by the time of his debut right after this safe as milk, uh, he was just going off track uh, into his own little world.
0: So you guys are going to be just shocked to learn that I've never heard any other Captain Beefheart. So uh, you, you seem to be saying that none of the rest of his music sounds anything like this.
1: It's kind of in the same, like, well, I mean, his his voice always sounds like that. Uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: And that's a binding theme throughout his music. But uh, the music itself uh, is a lot wackier. Yeah.
2: You may have heard um, Her Eyes Are a Blue Million Miles. That one was in The Big Lebowski.
0: I hated The Big Lebowski. <laughs> I'm sorry, you guys.
2: It's okay. <laughs> then we, we can't help you. In any way, I've seen
0: it <laughs> twice. I hated it the first time. I thought, you know what? I'll give it a try. Maybe it'll suck less the second time. It did not.
1: Now it's a. I, I mean, uh, there was a there was a point in my life where I would have been like, "What
0: a I man! No, you don't like the big of asking."
1: But uh, I mean, I you know, it's a it's a very it has it has kind of a grating sense of humor. It's not for everybody. Uh, I do think it's a really good noir, though. If you actually like, mm-hmm. um, if one, if one actually. Sits down and unpacks the plot. It could, it could actually pass for a really weird Raymond Chandler novel. But this is not the Lebowski podcast.
0: No. I, I will say I love John Goodman in it. Just because mm-hmm. he's amazing in everything. But not to generalize. But every man our age I know loves the big Lebowski. And every woman hates it.
1: <laughs> My wife likes it. See? Uh, not to
0: generalize. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, I like the song.
2: Yeah, like I say, I don't think there's a whole lot to say about that song in particular, but stay tuned, because Captain Beefheart gets a lot more interesting, and we'll be talking a lot more about him in just a couple months, folks.
0: And not to dismiss this song too much, because it is really good. I like it a lot.
2: I I think it's fine. Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, if it weren't for the the bass tone, I think it would just sort of glide on by me without me even noticing, probably.
0: It's that absolutely wild bass that really makes me notice it.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. So, moving on, now we've got the Sonics with strychnine
1: Yeah, do we have to? We have yes. to. Yes. Cuz it's awesome is it <laughs> my best John Ralphio. <laughs> 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 True, poison is blue. <laughs> All poison is blue. <laughs> Strip Nine was released in March 1965 on the Sonics' debut. Here come the Sonics with three exclamation points. Uh, but the song was not a single. It's just it's just become a classic because it's just its lyrics are very memorable. As you can probably. Uh, here right there. So the Sonics are from Tacoma, Washington, which is the site of the one time that Amanda and I have met in person.
0: Yep, sure was.
1: Yeah, it was at a coffee shop with my dad, and he dominated the conversation. Hi, Dad.
0: (laughs) Hi, Rich's dad. You talked about Peter Frampton a lot
1: so there wasn't much of a music scene in tacoma at the time so a band as loud as this really dominated the scene and they're one of those bands that you come out of nuggets remembering whether for good in my case or for ill in amanda's case is my understanding
2: oh. <laughs> just judging from the way she took her headphones off as we were playing the song while uh, oh. we were listening to it just now <laughs> you listeners can't see that but
1: Well, they are very loud. Uh, I read an interview where they acknowledged that that they weren't technicians at all and just kind of parked their music in the red. Like, every element as loud as it can possibly go, just recorded directly to two-track. Hmm and they weren't especially popular at the time uh, because it was just they were just too darn loud but interest in them rose after punk broke and music generally just became more messy distorted and aggressive um, and they've been cited by bands including nirvana mudhoney the white stripes jack white loves the sonics and particularly the fall and the cramps both of whom have co- covered this song and i haven't heard the fall strict nine but
2: this does kind of sound like a fall song <laughs> or at least a fall yeah. lyric it does Interesting. What occurred to me was uh, the it sounds like you could draw a pretty straight line between this song and the Bleach Boys by the Dead Milkmen, which is another punk song. But that one's about drinking bleach.
1: It is. Yeah, I can I, confirm that. Just
2: recreationally. So it seems like they, they were studied enough on classic rock that I'm sure that they made that connection to. By the
1: way, though Kurt Cobain cited the Sonics as having the most amazing drum sound he'd ever heard, earlier in the same interview he says, "I hate the Sonics. They're stupid." <laughs> <laughs> something Courtney, something Courtney Love then disagrees with. <laughs> so he was uh, he was he was very conflicted about the Sonics.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. Uh, I, uh, as you guys noticed, I cannot handle the vocal in that song. The screaming is the most annoying thing on this entire collection, and I am including the seeds in that. It's just <laughs> horrible. I no, ooh, I hate it.
1: It is kind of responsible for just a whole like strain of music where. Like the fall, where the melody doesn't really matter as long as you say things in a declarative enough way and find, like, enough, like, interesting drones to back it up with.
0: Yeah, I could just about handle this one, actually. I don't mind all the clipping and the distortion. That doesn't bother me. It's just that high-pitched scream in every... I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it.
1: (laughs) Well, I read some other interesting background about the Sonics, but I might save it for their other songs on this collection. Yep, there are more, Amanda. sorry. No! (laughs)
0: This
1: this wasn't even their first hit. I guess it wasn't a hit at all.
0: Well, you know, the fact that this was even released is probably evidence of the lack of a music scene in Tacoma at that time.
1: (laughs) I think it just created it, yeah.
0: (laughs) And I like Tacoma. I lived there for many years. It's a great place to be, but... Not known for its really fabulous original music.
1: Yeah, there, yeah. there's not much to do there. The, one there. the one other thing I remember from that trip, we were visiting colleges, is that we watched What Women Want in theaters.
0: Oh, yeah, that was out <laughs> right around then, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, and now What Men Want is out. And now we have a podcast together. See, look, time just...
0: <laughs> oh, everything comes full circle, doesn't it? Yep.
2: <laughs> All right, well, if you two are Memories. down Prince and down memory lane, we've got a show to do. So I, the only responsible one, will push it on ahead to Syndicate of Sound with their song Little Girl. Not from Tacoma. No. Not from Tacoma.
0: And I've met Will lots of times, but never in Tacoma.
2: That is true. This song was released in January 1966 and made it all the way to number eight on the Hot 100. It's a hit. It's an official hit. And these guys were formed in San Jose from the ashes of a band called the Pharaohs and an a, and a band called Lenny Lee and the Nightmen. Ah! Oh, I can't. I was trying to do the "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia" thing, but I can't. No, do I could can
1: it. do it, day man. Oh, oh, oh.
2: there we there go. go well, <laughs> thank you. I'm always we'll ready with my it. falsetto for you. Will I? <laughs> that'll co- <laughs> I that'll come. I wanted to put that line and
0: post it somewhere completely out of context. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh. Anyway, uh, (laughs) I don't have a whole lot to say about this particular song, honestly. It didn't make much of an impression on me. It sounded to me just like sort of a a half-assed run at Bob Dylan, maybe, as far as the vocals are concerned. Is that...
1: Yeah, that, that, that's what I was thinking in the uh, right at first, but uh, this song started to grow on me. Well, not necessarily the original version, but this has been covered a ton of times, and I like each and every cover of it uh, better than the original. Like, there's a version by the Dead Boys, which is uh, like kind of smart assed, which is fun. Uh, REM mm-hmm. covered it really early on in their live set, and so like it's at the point where Peter Buck was just sort of kind of playing his guitar, uh, mm-hmm. and, and and it benefits the song really well. And my favorite is. Um, uh, is the Divinals who actually like do a really tight arena rock version of this called Hey Little Boy. Uh, (laughs) And, um, and released it. And this was on the album before I touched myself.
2: So before they broke briefly, I will have to investigate that.
0: Yeah. I actually like this one a lot. Uh, I enjoy whatever is going on with the guitar back there where they're making it sound a little bit like a mandolin. I don't really know how you do that because I don't play the guitar, but I like it a lot. And and I I enjoy the vocal delivery a lot. I can see how it just wouldn't really do much for other people, but there's no shrieking in it. So, I mean, that right there is a bonus over the previous song. Yeah. But I find this one just kind of silly and fun and enjoyable.
2: Yeah, well, I think my my tolerance for people who sound sort of like Bob Dylan is much lower than anybody else on the podcast.
0: That could be, and I think mine is probably higher because Bob Dylan is an artist I respect but don't especially enjoy.
2: mm -hmm.
0: So for me, the the singers who try to sound like him, I often enjoy more because they are not him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like I said, check out any given cover of this song. They always turn down the Bob Dylan factor and in general turn up the jangle factor. (laughs) I do enjoy the jangles.
0: Yeah, it's wonderfully jangly.
1: Yeah, the cover by Dwight Yoakam in particular uh, of Logan Lucky fame. Uh, Dwight Yoakam? (laughs) We've already had a Dwight Yoakam digression on this podcast once. We can't do it again. But yeah, his version (laughs) is excellent.
0: I would have to find that.
1: It's on the
2: YouTubes. (laughs) All right. So that brings us to the Blues Magoos, who we've heard on This Is Comp before. This time it's their song. We ain't got nothing yet, baby.
0: <laughs> I was just thinking that too,
1: and I said it. <laughs> <laughs> We ain't got nothing yet and will did not note the parentheses around we ain't got uh, which only leaves nothing I mean, yet afterwards which makes it in a nonsensical use of parentheses
0: rich is very particular about the parentheses
1: i am very particular <laughs> so it was released in october 1966 and hit number five on the hot 100 um and this is a repeat band for nuggets these guys did tobacco road on the original set which i think we all liked i can't remember who was on that one
2: no, there are too many of us.
1: <laughs> no, there are just enough. Um, I think
2: we liked it okay. It was me, Ben, and John. Oh uh, yeah, I th- yeah. I think we liked it fine.
1: Uh, by the way, "Tobacco Road" was written by John D. Loudermilk, the original writer of "Indian Reservation," that song that Paul Revere, et cetera, covered. Music is connected. Uh, I don't actually, I don't actually have much to say about parentheses. We ain't got uh, closed parentheses. <laughs> nothing yet. <laughs> which is which is why i'm drawing dotted lines between uh this band and other bands uh instead of like actually talking about the song
2: you uh, mean I- ellipses
1: yes ellipses uh so this song is fun but unremarkable i like the pedal point in the chorus which uh, we talked about pedal points in the todd rungren episode i think uh uh i guess the fact that it's done on the organ makes it an, an inverted pedal point according to producer mike
0: the i think he said in a pedal point it's the bass that stays put on a particular spot and everything changes around it where I guess when it's a higher point in the harmonics then that would be inverted maybe
1: yeah so it's it's where it like parks on one note basically and then like somebody uh, another instrument like plays a counter melody so in this case it's the do 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 part
0: yeah Mike is listening to this shaking his head going oh you guys <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're good at theory
0: i like this one fine while it's playing but unremarkable is a good word for it it's one of the songs that i enjoy while it's on but it doesn't stick in my head at all i'm going to have forgotten all about it in about five minutes
2: yeah the only reason that i can keep it in mind is that it reminds me an awful lot of mick harvey's out of time man which played over the conclusion of breaking bad's pilot episode and obviously mick harvey came much much later but still they're very similar mm-hmm. but that's anybody have anything else for that one
1: nah, nah there's nothing not much, we already talked about like all we already talked about the blues magoo's history they're like rich detailed history
2: yeah <laughs> all right then we will close out disc number two with the Totally real band, Max Frost and the Troopers, and their song Shape of Things to Come. So real. So totally real. Die. Let the old world changes. Okay, and- Max Frost and the Troopers is not a real-life band. They were Fooled made up you. for the film. <laughs> yeah. Psych. They were made up for the film Wild in the Streets, a 1968 film designed to terrify middle-aged people about the hippie counterculture. I'm part of Max's political brain trust. You see, you put down the Republicans, Dad. That's easy. But you Democrats, you solved all your problems 30 years ago, too, the same as them. There aren't going to be any wars anymore, not big ones. We know that. You know, if we didn't have a foreign policy, we wouldn't even have small wars. Max feels that we don't need a foreign policy. And at home, everybody's rich. And if they're not, they can sleep on the beaches and live like they're rich anyway. There aren't even any Negroes anymore the way you Democrats seem to think. You think you see them, but I don't think I see them. All I see is a man who got out on the shore and started his tan sooner than I did. I watched the entire thing this weekend because I care about you, our listeners, and it is delightfully insulting. For one thing, there is no wildness in the streets. The Max Frost character f- fronts a band who we are meant to believe has the entire youth of our nation in his thrall due to his smoldering, dangerous sexuality and the way that his songs can't help but cause a frenzy of pelvic thrusts. But Frost, as a cast, is far too blonde and dainty to be the Jim Morrison figure he was clearly envisioned as. And this song is the only evidence we hear that he can actually string two decent chords together. (laughs) As far as musical films that pander to a youth demographic that the filmmakers clearly don't understand, Wild in the Streets is nearly as hilariously misguided as Menahem Golan's The Apple. Which is another classic, if you're in for that sort of thing. However, this two-minute song is the only bit of genuine entertainment in in the film so i am glad the nuggets folks isolated it as i think it's a really good song and the ramones covered it on acid eaters so you can get it without even dealing with wild in the streets whatsoever
0: well thanks for taking that one for the team will
1: and i believe paul revere and the raiders uh, covered it as well music still connected
0: <laughs> yeah i like this one a lot that's a terrific intro and I think the rest of the song doesn't quite live up to that, I think, but it's still very enjoyable and really, really catchy, especially in the context of apparently a terrible movie. I like that they apparently busted out a pretty good song for it.
2: Yeah. It's in the context, it seems to be about a revolution of 14 year olds getting the vote in the United States, <laughs> which happens. It is not the most realistic political satire I have ever seen.
1: That is great. Yeah. I like these fake bands like sitting alongside the real bands on Nuggets. It feels like they're like, you know, animated like a cartoon, like sitting alongside them, like Roger Rabbit or Cool World or something. (laughs) (laughs) The second most famous uh, thing that combines animation and real life.
2: I thought that was the uh, MC Scat Cat video. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or
0: well, Space we'll jam. talk about that
1: more. When, we'll talk about that more when we inevitably cover "Forever Your Girl." We should cover that album. That would yes, be really should. fun. We
0: should. I was actually thinking about that like last week.
1: Yeah, that would be awesome. Okay, "Forever That's Your Girl" goes album. on the list. You heard it here first. Trout mask, rapp- <laughs> <laughs> Out the Forever door. Your Girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a two-part episode. <laughs> yeah, this the song is fine. I love it. it. I just it's just great sequencing to me. Like it always struck me as a very very fitting "We're Only Halfway Done" song. Like, there's a, like there's two more discs of craziness I, to come.
0: Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I see what you mean.
2: And we are only halfway done. We are. So there will be another, what, eight episodes of this nonsense. But <laughs> for now, we just want to very much thank you for listening to This Is Comp, part of the Discord and Rhyme podcast. If you'd like early access to these episodes, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash and pledge at the $3 level or above. The opening theme, again, is performed by the Hector Collectors, and you can find more of their music at thehectorcollectors.bandcamp.com. The closing theme you're hearing right now is performed by Kenneth Crayley, and you can find his own music at Crayley that's K-R-A-Y-L-I-E.bandcamp.com, and his band Casinos at casinos.bandcamp.com. Music for the theme was originally composed by Andy Partridge of XTC with new lyrics by Adam Smith of the Hector Collectors. Visit our website, discordpod.com, for more info about the show and a list of upcoming episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at DiscordPod, follow Ma- Amanda at magneticink 67 and Rich at Zonetrope. See you for the next batch of nuggets, and be ever wonderful!